G'day you mob, Pete here, and this is another episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, today I have a GOSS episode for you where I sit down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and we talk about the week's news, whether locally down under here in Australia or non-locally <laughs> overseas in other parts of the world, okay? And we sometimes also talk about whatever comes to mind, right? If we can think of something interesting to share with you guys related to us or Australia, we also talk about that in the GOSS. So, these episodes are specifically designed to try and give you content about many different topics where we're obviously speaking in English and there are multiple people having a natural and spontaneous conversation in English. So, it is particularly good to improve your listening skills. In order to complement that though, I really recommend that you join the podcast membership or the academy membership at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get access to the full transcripts of these episodes, the PDFs, the downloads, and you can also use the online PDF reader to read and listen at the same time, okay? So, if you really, really want to improve your listening skills fast, Get the transcript, listen and read at the same time, keep practicing, and that is the quickest way to level up your English. Anyway, I've been rabbiting on a bit, I've been talking a bit. Let's just get into this episode, guys. Smack the bird, and let's get into it. Man, Afghanistan. Ugh, basket case. <laughs> Fuck me, man. I. This, this has been one of those things that is sort of like in the news that has upset me a great deal more than I was expecting it to. Mm. It's, kind of, it's kind of like when Heath Ledger died. <laughs> or, yeah, or when- well, for me, it was when Elvis Presley died. Yeah, you yeah. sit there and go, why am I so affected by somebody that I've never met, never likely to meet? <laughs> and it's not like I don't get to listen to Elvis Presley music for you know, now, yeah. the next 45 years. But uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Well, it is interesting, but I wanted to talk about it because it's obviously been all over the news and I'm sure, you know, people are thinking about this quite a bit at the moment. Mm. So, why on earth, Dad, did Australians end up in Afghanistan fighting for 20 years? Do you want to um, sort of give us a nutshell review? A nutshell, one sentence, <laughs> because John Howard wanted to support the United States. We have possibly the closest, well, ANZUS, along with New Zealand, we possibly have the closest military alliance uh, anywhere in the world. It's Australia, New Zealand and the United States. They say um, jump and we say how high. Exactly. <laughs> and the United States, the value they see in Australia and New Zealand is because we're on the other side of the world, particularly close to Asia and much closer to the Middle East, um, it gives them you know, places that they can have military bases and yeah. Um, you know, they can effectively use the Australian and New Zealand military as, a, you know, an arm of their own if they want to. And that's why that's why we went to Vietnam in the 1960s. That's why we're in Afghanistan. That's why we went to the Middle East, to Iraq. Um, it's simply because the United States says jump and we say how high. Uh, now, that's not necessarily a complete negative uh, because obviously having um, a military alliance, the world's closest military alliance with the world's biggest military force is not a bad thing to have um but there is the element of it that just says you know, canada said we're not going to iraq Fuck off. <laughs> uh, true i hadn't states, thought about that in the united was... states are, yeah and they've got a very close relationship obviously um and and so they they dug their heels in and just said no i, I actually think they were in afghanistan um uh, 
but in fact, I know they were in Afghanistan, but they didn't go to Iraq. They might have ended up there later, but they certainly didn't go the first time. They didn't go the second time immediately um, because they looked at it and said, what's the strategic advantage for us? And you can say that's selfish, <laughs> but at the same time, you go, what does it mean by Australia having a few thousand troops in Afghanistan? Well, that's uh, yes, what I was going to ask. Do you think could- it's more that America's just like, we want you to be involved? You, yeah, you, 10 people, 10,000 people, whatever, but we're doing this and so we need a front of, you know, allegiance where everyone well, you, does what we you say. Get, you, you get some moral high ground by having other people go with you. You also get, it's purely a cost thing. I mean, America mm-hmm. spends trillions of dollars over decades on, you know, what they would call, you know, policing other countries, you know, effectively going to war with other countries because they don't like what they're doing. Um and if we can contribute some financial infrastructure and human beings to go as well, then it's in their interest to do that. Uh, as well as that, you know, you get you know, the moral high ground if you know, most of NATO, most of Europe, most and uh, the United States and Australia and New Zealand or whatever go in, then they can say, we're not going to be the pariah here. We're not going to be you know, everybody holding it against us. But we all know whose war it is. And, you know, you've got a bunch of people going and supporting it. Um, I think the uh, – well, the, if we go back even further, you said a nutshell, but go back even further, the bizarre part of this is that the, you know, pre-Taliban, the um, far-right Muslim um, guerrillas there, the Mujahideen that were in Afghanistan before the Taliban ever existed. Were these uh, the ones that were fighting against Russia? Well, Russia decided that um, because the Mujahideen were anti-communist, yeah. Um, and there was a socialist, if not communist, government that was being supported in uh, Afghanistan by the Soviet Union at the time. Um, and then the Mujahideen started to come in and you know, have this little guerrilla warfare going against the government of Afghanistan. And Russia went in there and just said, look, you know, stop this. We're not going to put up with this. And guess what the United States did? They went in and supported the Mujahideen. They effectively armed the right-wing Muslim uprising in the country against the Soviet Union. Because they hated was, communists. It was Cold War thing. It was, if you're anti-communist, it must mm-hmm. be correct. And there was never, like, this is their fight, let them have it. Why weren't they in there supporting the government of the country? Mm. Who, because, you know, they were ostensibly, the Soviet Union would have called them a communist government to suit themselves. They were probably not. They were probably more of a socialist government. But all that aside... The United States in there went in and they're effectively propping up a war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Now, that fizzled out. Uh, and the thing that came over the top of that after that was the Taliban happened. And, and this, Taliban was, this was an uprising of students, right? I, I learned that the tel- after 20 years of the Afghan <laughs> war, the Taliban means student. Yeah. So why did the Americans decide to invade Afghanistan in the end? Well, they did oh, well, it on a, two, on a, hum- well, I think it was a humanitarian right? thing. They're already in the Middle East, so they're already in Iraq. They've already had, they've had this ongoing, um, effectively a cold war, um, at least philosophically, with Iran, and who's next door? Afghanistan. Yeah. And so you're fighting in Iraq. You don't like Iran, and you've got an internal civil war going on in Afghanistan next door. They went in there for ideally for humanitarian reasons to say, look, we've got to stop this uprising for people coming in and being anti-government. 
They they were in Afghanistan first. They invaded Afghanistan after September 11. So that was October yes, 2001. Was, there, was a, there was the first war in Iraq before that. Yeah, uh, and then Iraq, they went in, I mean, at least, yeah, most recently in 2003. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so it was a humanitarian thing. It was basically saying, look, you know, we're not going to put up with this again. It wasn't, in this case, it wasn't a, um, it was more of a religious thing rather than a, um, a, political philosophical thing it wasn't that you know we, we suddenly got you know anti-communists or communists or whatever were, were the argument the taliban were basically saying they're about as far right in islam as you can get and the americans were saying we don't want this we want you know particularly you know we want women to be able to go to school we want you know civil rights for people in the country we don't want people being killed in the street because they disagree with these people so from that point of view you go all right there's a moral high ground that you can take in there but as with Vietnam, there was never an out clause. There was never a, how are we going to get out of this? What, mm-hmm. what does victory look like? You, know, you can go in and police a country, but effectively it means you've got to either you've got to agree to be there for the next century or you have to set up a government that will be able to be ongoing without you there. Now, they say they thought they had done that, but anybody could have seen. And, you know, in hindsight, 2020 hindsight, a few weeks later, it's quite obvious that that is not the case. Um, and now we look at it and, you know, with the United States, and I'm a fan of Joe Biden, um, but I don't know whether it's him or whether it's his military, um, but the fact that they've pulled out and left, left billions of dollars worth of infrastructure there that the Taliban have just taken over, um, you know, if they went back in now to fight them, They'd be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> You'd end up having to put hundreds of thousands of troops into the country to fight um, a few few tens of thousands of Taliban uh, soldiers um, because they've left them all this infrastructure. They've left them weaponry and tanks and trucks and uh, all this stuff. And you just say, it's crazy. Why wasn't there? And they, they said at the beginning of this year that we want to be out by the 1st of September. So you've got, you've got eight months to get out. Not, oh, well, tick-tock, tick-tock. Now we've got two weeks to get out. Just run away. Yeah, they should have been getting all of this stuff out for months. Well, and it was mind-blowing for me learning about how much money had been spent there. I think they'd spent almost a trillion dollars over the 20 years, yes. I, think, I think, just in Afghanistan. Yeah. And they had spent, I think, less than $100 million, I think it was like $80 million or something, on training the Afghan army. Mm-hmm. And... The Afghan army ends up crumbling. 300,000 soldiers, apparently, they had, the government had, and yeah. they just crumbled because it turns out that shitloads of them weren't getting paid, didn't have food. And you're yeah. just like, how on earth have you put so much money and effort into this? And yet, the it's, it's still set up so that the soldiers who are fighting to try and maintain, you know, what you've built over 20 years are not getting paid and they have no food and oh, no. they have no incentive. What, what are they going to do? Of course, they're going to run home and be like, well, fuck this. I'm, I'm going to go protect my family or I'm going to get out of the country. And obviously, this is, it was an interesting thing to, to see and learn about in terms of just morale because clearly it, it's like a, a cancer, right? It starts in one place and just spreads rapidly. And obviously, the people on the front line who were taking on the Taliban just bailed. And yeah. then it just ended up this kind of like avalanche or cascading effect where, well, the next town was like, well, fuck this, I'm out too. And then the next one and the next one all the way to Kabul, you know, they got there within, what, two weeks. Yes. And and you see things with Biden saying, no, nah, they won't be there for months. If Even if they get there, it's unlikely. And you're just like, how much is that going to come back to bite you? Mm. So how's Australia doing in terms of um, its bit for 
resettling Afghanis, especially the Afghanis that worked for. Oh yeah, and look, that was the other thing too. Is that why did it take us a month? Yeah, we knew we were coming out. We knew this was the day. Why did it just take us a month before yeah. we were sending planes there? Yeah, the day they decided, right, we're now going to start getting out. Um, <laughs> you know, which was again five months after the decision was made. But the day they actually activated it, why weren't there you know ten planes a day going into Kabul airport and just getting people out? Yeah, you know, stick them on Christmas Island. Stick them, you know. Do a deal with the Indian government. Just get people. You can helicopter mm. people across Pakistan. You know, get them into India, and then argue about whether or not they're legitimate refugees and things. Yeah, not saying, "Oh, look, you know, we'll need to work it out." Well, what are you going to do? Interview them on the on the runway in Kabul while they're being shot at? You know, it's it's crazy uh, yeah. that, that we've got into this situation where you're looking at any logical thought that went into this said we've got to get a the Australians out but B, the Afghanis who have been helping the Australians, and not just helping Australians. We can take people out who are helping Canadians or Brits or the Americans. Just get them out and worry about where they're going to go later. Um, there seems to be this whole lot of um, sabre-rattling on one side, in the, particularly the American side, saying you know, we're still, you know, might is right and they'll never attack us. Well, guess what? They are. Um, and the other side is this sort of, Oh well, we'll we'll have to work it out. We can't just take everybody. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll take everybody and worry about them later, because you can guarantee that the people who are actually, you know, you get kids falling off planes, taking off out of the yeah. airport. These are not people who are doing this for political reasons. They're not sitting there going, "Oh, I just want to get out of this country." These are people who are in fear of their lives. They're risking their life to yeah. get out. Well, there know? was a few <laughs> of those, right? There was one guy on camera who was in the airport, and I saw this on Reddit, and he was like, "I was a translator for Australia, and yeah. you know, I'm I'm waiting for a plane." And all the comments were like, "This guy's dead. He's gone." Like just just by filming himself saying that. Oh yeah. Either he is going to get out on a plane that goes in there now or he knows, you know, and that's why he's saying it, that if he doesn't get out, he's a goner. He's an absolute yeah. goner because the Taliban. How do you think How do you think about um, how the Taliban have handled this? Because I was kind of shocked at the level of passivity, if that's a word, at the level of they, they came into Kabul and from what I've seen, there's been the odd little bit of violence here and there from you know, probably an unruly army that they have doing things on the individual, but they haven't just gone, No, we're going to just go through the place and, and well, raise it to the to. ground. They don't want to, they, they want to set themselves up as a legitimate, a legitimate government. Yeah. And you can't set yourself up as a legitimate government if you go in there and kill half a million people. You know, that's, it's just not going to work. Um, and, yeah, and it's not about, you could get away with that internally because everybody will just lie down and go, hey, don't shoot. And, you know, you can do what you like. Um, look what's happened in the Soviet Union for, you know, well, nearly 100 years. Um, their government has basically been, you agree with us or we'll kill you. Um, and, and so you can do that internally, but the Taliban want to set themselves up in Afghanistan as a legitimate government with recognition from other countries worldwide. So you they think that, that, that over to. the last 20 years, they've really matured in terms of understanding the politics and, and trying to I'm play sure the long have. game now? I still think they're, you know, it's all just you know, lies <laughs> that we go, oh, we'll allow everybody to go. First, it was allow anybody to go who wants to go. Two yeah. weeks later, it's we'll allow Americans out or Australians out, but Afghans have must stay. Yeah. Read between the lines. If we want to kill you, we don't want you leaving. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, Really? Uh, That's one of those crazy been, things too, who's right? Who's been opposed you, to you and actively against yeah. you. Just, 
isn't getting rid of them better, but no, yeah. it's not because there's this there's this sort of religious overtone to it. You know, this right wing fundamental branch of Islam that says if you're against us, we have to kill you. And so it's not just a matter of oh, we win the war by getting rid of you. You know, you go off and live in America or Australia or on some little Pacific island somewhere and hope that no, no Taliban person ever finds you. But um, the fact that they actually want to keep them in the country, yeah, you know, is only one reason for that. You know, it's, this is not about, if they had come out and said, even though we would realise it's a lie, if they'd come out and said, we want all Afghans to stay in Afghanistan because that's the only way our country is going to survive is if we keep all the good people here. You know, I think they've said that to some degree. They've said, oh, we're trying to, we want to rebuild the country. So we, oh, of we've, course they do. We're stopping the, um, you know, the, the people leaving in the next yeah, few days. What they don't want is Syria. You know, they don't want a million people banging on the doors of Pakistan and saying, let us in. Well, and they think, I was watching some, some news about that. They think that's going to happen for, that's, there's going to be another wave going into Europe, right, of, of mass migrants, you know, just or immigrants leaving yeah. Afghanistan as a result. And you're like, what is going to happen now? Like, it's just, it's just crazy. Do you worry about the political situation globally as a result of Taliban getting in control of Afghanistan? Obviously, it's a massive tragedy for people on the grounds there. Yeah. fought for the last 20 years for, you know, women's rights and to be able to get educated and have jobs, that's all gone because they're going to be following Sharia law now, you know, one of the strictest versions mm. of Islamic, um, well, the strictest, right? Um, but, but what do you think it's going to mean for the rest of the world if they do end up becoming, quote, unquote, a legitimate government? Um, look, I think, uh, I don't think they will have a direct effect on many things the trouble i have is with is the indirect effect that the right-wing um islamic politicians in pakistan will start to get you know, yeah hey look this is actually legitimate now we've got you know, there's, a, there's a country next door that is set up like this that you know, pakistan had always been a very mild islamic country in a sense um i think that'll it'll give them some um, solace in you know, how you know, the right wing there do in, a, in terms of how they can uh, take over. Uh, now, that's not going to happen in a hurry, but I think there will be more and more political and social unrest, in, certainly in the west of Pakistan, um, where, where there is likely to be a, um, a refugee problem as well. Um, I think the other side of it is that it's going to uh, prop up the militant side in Iran, um, because for all the you know Americans hating Iran because they've probably got nuclear weapons, um, Iran in itself, from a global political perspective, has never been seen as much of a uh, a threat. Um, now I think there is likely to be again more unrest there. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a trickle. I don't think it's going to be a direct. I don't think Afghanistan can suddenly declare war on anybody. Um, there, but I think this, you know, the fact that, that we now have the most extreme version of Islam um, potentially being seen as a legitimate government in a country in the Middle East um, is going to be a problem. Yeah, it's pretty weird. And what did you make of China legitimizing it? They were sort of one of the first off the ranks, right, to get out there with the Taliban and well, shake it's hands. Hard for them, it's hard for them not to because... It's just anyone know, who's against America. Yeah, well, but also... <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, if they if they don't support the uh, the legitimate uprising in a country to create a new government, um, 
how are they possibly going to stand in the world with Tibet and Taiwan? Because that's exactly what Tibet and Taiwan are doing. Now, if they'd come out and said, yeah, the, you know, we're anti-Taliban, then everybody in the world would have said, well, you know, yeah. how come you're not anti-Tibet and anti-Taiwan? You know, the, the fact is that they are, but yeah. it's this sort of odd um, dichotomy there that they have. You know, effectively, they've got, you know, Tibet wants to stand alone, Taiwan wants to stand alone, and China want to control them. Um, and, you know, they have to be sitting on their other side of that fence to give them some political legitimacy to hold on to them, I think. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen with Taiwan. Like those guys, I feel so bad for them because I imagine that they're, they're you know, on the edge of their seat too, just worried. Hong Kong. Yeah. Same thing. You know, Hong Kong's now, you know, potentially, I wouldn't go and travel in Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, not that we can get out of the country. We can get out of the country, not that we can get back in so you wouldn't leave. But, um, but you know, Hong Kong previously was, you know, it was a Chinese protectorate. Now, China sees it as a state and therefore it has to come under you know, Chinese government law. And Hong Kong was never like that. And, you know, the six and a half or seven million people who lived in Hong Kong treated themselves as a separate country. And, you know, they no longer are. And I don't think you know, when the British effectively handed Hong Kong back to China, uh, I don't think many people in Hong Kong saw that things were going to change because they were a legitimate world um, economic power in yeah. a sense of, you know, most of the world's financial, you know, you know, major financial companies and things have branches in Hong Kong. Um, there's a, you know, it's a huge stock market in Hong Kong in comparison with the size of the, uh, the population and so on. But um, when you compare that with China, you know, it's a pimple. <laughs> it's, you know, Hong Kong is not even in the top 20 cities in China in terms of population size. And so, mm -hmm. but because of its political significance worldwide, China want to control it. Yeah, they really don't care. If the same thing, if they'd had you know, people in another little town in Guangzhou province, you know, another little city of 5 million people in Guangzhou province behaving like the people in Hong Kong behaved, China, Chinese government wouldn't have cared. Uh, but the fact that they want to take over and tell them how to behave because the rest of the world understands what Hong Kong is, mm -hmm. um, is China just puffing its chest out. Did you see what they recently did to their billionaires in China? No. They pretty much crippled them. Like no. they, all of the tech billionaires, I think they pretty much just said, <laughs> you're ours. Like there's no, there's no, you know, all of your companies will, they are mm. Chinese. They will align with Chinese, the Chinese government's. Uh, intentions and and policies and everything. So I think you know, is it Jack Ma that was the um, creator of Alibaba? Kind of got too big for yeah. his boots and was saying you know too many things about how he was going to change the world and everything, and he just disappeared. Like he's out yeah. there somewhere, but he's obviously been told you need to shut your mouth. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing was that China went through and I think I think they imposed a bunch of restrictions. I, I remember seeing these stories. I, I can't remember the specifics, but. They effectively, from what I remember, wiped off billions of dollars of all these companies. So it seemed like it was an own goal. But from what I understand, that they're playing the long game again of yeah. if we if we just get 100% control of all these companies, they can lose billions of dollars right now. It doesn't matter. But in the future, we'll do better because we'll have complete control of them. You know, I think 
there were a few that were over in America that were setting up businesses there and everything, and they just yeah crush them. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the in the future business wise. Yeah. Well, there was yeah, Huawei were setting themselves up as a phone company in opposition to yeah, Samsung and Apple, and yeah. they've gone down the tubes because the Chinese government just said to them, "Sorry, you can't operate outside China." Well, you can as long as we have access to everything, right? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> that was never going to happen. So. Yeah. Oh, well, let's finish up there, Dad, and um, see you guys next time. Bye. All righty, you mob. Thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode of The Goss. If you would like to watch the video, if you're currently listening to it and not watching it, you can do so on the Aussie English channel on YouTube. You'll be able to subscribe to that. Just search Aussie English on YouTube. And if you're watching this and not listening to it, you can check this episode out also on the Aussie English podcast, which you can find via my free Aussie English podcast application on both Android and iPhone. You can download that for free or you can find it via any other good podcast uh, app that you've got on your phone, Spotify, podcast from iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is. I'm your host, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a ripper of a day and I will see you next time. Peace.